Hello, everybody, and happy day before Thanksgiving if you're here in the United States or if you're abroad also celebrating Thanksgiving. Happy Wednesday to the rest of you. Welcome to Dan Live. We are here. As you can see, Mara is literally making our dessert for tomorrow while we're doing the show. That's just the kind of day it is. Actually, I'm currently making bread. I can't make the pie crust because I need the food processor and it's loud. Ah, okay. So, Mar yeah, Mara's making our uh, during dinner uh, bread. A lot of gluten. You'll be seeing a lot of gluten on today's show. So much which gluten. Is always I recommend a good thing. if you're gluten intolerant, you might need to take some caution. <laughs> yeah, it may come through the screen. I think that's how gluten works. It comes like through the screen, even if you're watching it. So, this Facts. is a gluten warning uh, for those of you that are watching at home. Also, Ben, Ben Goddard behind the scenes, pushing the buttons, doing all the things that I don't really understand. He may also hop in if we cajole him uh, hard enough to come and uh, say something. We were talking about the House of Gucci before we, we came on. Um, oh, yeah. We'll see a review for House of Gucci right here on the channel tomorrow morning. I wanted to space out the videos a little bit. Very interesting to see some reactions to this because I feel like people are split along the Jared Leto line. And we have a cat. Is that Muffin? Yeah, it's Muffin. Who's my That's baby? That's Muffin. She's my baby. All right, yep. now I have to wash my hands again. <laughs> All kinds of fun things going on. We have a lot that we're talking about today. We are talking about Jurassic World. It has a prologue. We're going to be talking about Bel Air, which is the hour-long Fresh Prince drama. That could be interesting. Also, a lot of discussion going on around how families are portrayed in film, and particularly real-life families, so we're going to tackle that. But part of the show is also your questions. So just a reminder, if you want to send in a Streamlabs, and we are uh, going to be focusing on the Streamlabs if we can. We're trying to move away from Super Chats only because they take a big chunk of uh, your money and by extension, my money, when you do Super Chat, a lot of that does not go uh, to the channel. Um, it goes to Google. So the Streamlab, we get a lot, a much bigger percentage of it. So the Streamlab address, if you're watching, is over uh, in the comments. It's a pinned comment. You can click on it there. It's streamlabs.com slash Movies. $5 plus Streamlab will get your question asked on the air. So we would love to have you join in and make this show interactive. But before we get to that, while you're sending those in, let's tackle the first story. And this actually is, we're going to put out a spoiler warning because this does tackle some spoilers for Ghostbusters Afterlife, which came out last week. So if you haven't seen Ghostbusters Afterlife yet, then you may want to tune out for this portion of the show. Uh, we will take the banner off of the screen when we're done talking about spoilers. But this is a very interesting story that I wanted to talk about because it actually has to do with some of my own criticism about movies previously and how sometimes you have to take things, in my opinion, uh, a little bit on a case-by-case -case basis. So now that hopefully, if you have not seen Ghostbusters Afterlife, you're away, we're going to be talking about a, a crucial plot point in the third act of the film. So final, final spoiler warning. If you saw my review, I didn't do a spoiler review, but I talked about the third act of the movie and the fact that I thought that it was very, very well done. And it seems like many people thought that, even maybe some people that didn't like the movie that much. And a large part of it was the inclusion of the one of the main four primary Ghostbusters who sadly passed away uh, a few years ago, and that is Harold Ramis, who plays Egon Spengler. The main character in the movie, McKenna, played by McKenna Grace, is his granddaughter. But in the finale of the film, alongside the three original Ghostbusters, we also see Egon Spengler return as a ghost to help them win their final victory. Let's hope final victory. I don't want them to bring Gozer back again. Uh, bring a final victory over Gozer. And this was something, quite frankly, going into it, I did not want. 
when they did not show him at the beginning of the movie, I was very happy that they didn't because I generally have not liked this resurrection of uh, people, uh, particularly when you look at like the Rogue One uh, of Tarkin and bringing back actors. However, I actually was on board with this because I felt like it came from a place of love. I felt like it paid tribute to that character. I thought I think it gave people an opportunity to say goodbye to the character that they may not have had uh, if they had excluded him. And apparently uh, this was all done, and this was a story that ran uh, in The Hollywood Reporter uh, just a couple days ago. This was all done under the uh, supervision and with the blessing of Ramus's family. Uh, Violet Ramus Steele, uh, who, also, who actually wrote a book about uh, her father and her time with her father and his time as a Ghostbuster, uh, gave a wide-ranging interview about Ghostbusters Afterlife. But in this interview, she says that uh, she was, uh, as according to Hollywood Reporter, among the first to read the script, which was written by... By, uh, Jason Reitman and Gil Keenan and ha- it says that having the Ramus family's blessing was important to the writer-director uh, Violet Ramus Steele went on to say that the concept seemed weird to her when she was presented with the idea but the concept faded fast thanks to Jason Reitman making sure she had a voice in the creative conversation and this is a quote from Violet Ramus Steele she said quote it was so generous of him to let me feel as though I was a part of the making of the movie even though I wasn't I saw some drafts of the character of Egon along the way and then of the CGI representation she said it was so satisfying they could have done him as this jolly Santa type but that wouldn't have been true to the character he was in great shape nice and trim my dad would have loved that she went on to say it was surreal there are so many parallels to real life but it's just a movie and it's not actually him it's a character jason smartly focused on capturing the egon character and not necessarily my dad i feel like it really worked in that way ultimately it leaves us with that feeling the people we love are always with us they don't go away and this i was very happy to read this because i i I would very may very well have changed my tune on the inclusion of Egon in this in the movie, if uh, his family had either not had any say in it or had had you know some issues with it, but knowing that uh, Violet uh, Steele, uh, Ramus Steele, was involved with this from the beginning, that they not only got her approval uh, but got the approval from uh, her sister and her brothers as well. Uh, I understand people saying, well, Harold Ramus wasn't around to give his approval, but it, but you know, as long as this is as far as they go cinematically. Uh, it makes me feel okay, and I think it's where we get into these gray areas. You know, we, we talk about on the show a lot about uh, extremes, going to extremes, the fact that people are one way or the other. I'm totally against this, or I'm totally for that. This is a case where I think you have to go into those areas and take it on a case-by-case basis, because um, knowing this and, and seeing the tone of it, it didn't feel exploitative to me. It, it felt like it was really an honor and a tribute to Harold Ramis, to the character of Egon, Uh, And so for me, this only underscores the fact that uh, I really love the third act of this film. And this is something that I honestly went into the movie actively not wanting to be in this movie. So the fact that it was in the movie and I loved it uh, says a lot about how I think they pulled it off. Oh, I agree completely. Um, I was also uh, exactly where you were kind of on pins and needles in the beginning of the film where I'm like, are they going to do it? And the fact that they kept him in such heavy shadow, you knew who it was but you couldn't see who it was. Uh, I thought it was really smart. And then at the end, I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. We were in a theater with a bunch of sobbing people. Like it, it yeah. really, really hit, at least with the crowd we saw it with. And I think there's also a really big difference when we're talking about these kinds of uh, uses between like, so special effects, even though they were not where they are now, they existed in his lifetime. And I'm mm-hmm. sure that 
just in general, the, the conversation of special effects, maybe not related to his likeness, but I'm sure that they had a fairly good idea what his wishes would be. My Where I get into more gray territory is with someone who uh, passed on long before any special effects were created. They could not have ever imagined their likeness be used. And when they're a state, even when they give permission, it's like if you're the great granddaughter of someone or the granddaughter of <laughs> yeah. someone who you've never had that conversation with them, how can you know what they really wanted? And of course, it's it's under the family's purview, like not just legally, but I mean, as much as you can say that you are doing to try to make sure that you're doing it above board. Can you ever really know what they would have wanted? That's the only time where I'm like, uh, I don't know how I feel about it. But this was this hit me in all the right places, especially because I'm an Egon. So that was perfect. Yeah. And and I, you know, I was always I kind of rotated between favorite Ghostbusters, but I, I think that Harold Ramis is underrated for his comedic, what he brings comedically. And he's actually the one that I've grown to appreciate more as I've gotten older, um, just because he's so dry and everyone else is is sort of given the comedic spotlight, even going up to Janine and, you know, I mean, just characters other than him. And he just kind of brings this very... Uh, I, one of my favorites is in Ghostbusters 2 when he's doing like the focus groups or the experiments and he, he's got the kids with the puppies and he, he ends the scene by like turning to his assistant and he goes, okay, now let's take away the puppy. And it's just so dry and it, and just that character of Egon, I love it. Um, I, I, I would say that this story ends on a happy note, but the finding out about this thing with, with Violet Ramis uh, Steele uh, was great news. But then there was some equally discouraging news, which is that immediately the use of Harold Ramis, I began to sour on it. Because the next thing I saw about Ghostbusters Afterlife were some new toys that were uh, unveiled by Hasbro on a live stream. And let's immediately start to waste this goodwill, because uh, we also will be getting a Harold Ramis, Grace McKenna or McKenna Grace, uh, two-pack action figure collection. Yeah, uh, like So that. Ghost Egon is now an action figure. It's going to be sold as a two-pack. Uh, there we have Spectral Egon with, uh, I believe, a jar of spores, molds, and fungus with McKenna Grace, which, I mean, I love that. I want that figure. I just, uh, again, now this seems a bit cash-grabby and exploitative. The worst thing is the name of this two-pack, which is... Uh, the name the, they have a, a a sub name for what it's called, and it is the I believe it's the uh, Ben. Can we what, what's that picture say? It's the I think the fa I think it's a third one. Is it the third one? Did I give you that picture? I may not have. Hang on, I might have just set us all up for failure here. Uh, I did not give you that one. Okay, hang on. I'm gonna load this in. I don't know how I missed this one because uh, this was this is the, the worst part of all of this. Um, I'll, I'll I'll throw it up here. Well, this two-pack is called the, the Family That Busts Together uh, two-pack, which is like, uh, do you not understand the whole Bustin' Makes Me Feel Good joke already going on about this? Like, uh, this is, this feels about as tone-deaf as you could possibly get. Um, again, this just goes to show you, anytime somebody makes a genuine heartfelt thing, uh, the, the, the corporate side will immediately swoop in uh, for the kill, so... I am. I am. I would love to. I hope that McKenna Grace figure is available, like side by side, because or on her own, because I would love to have that figure. But I don't think I want to buy the dead Harold Ramis figure. I just that yeah. that feels like a bridge too far for me. The only way that I think that could have worked is if it were um, like a set, or it had you know one of those like cardstock backdrops where it had the silhouette just in black, a shadow of the shape of Harold Ramis that would be looked at as standing slightly behind slash next to her. 
That's yeah. the only way it works. It's like he's there, but we're not putting his dead ghost likeness on an action figure. It just maybe we're yeah. too sensitive, but it doesn't seem it, it just doesn't in feel taste. right. I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe if like they it. were like giving some of it to charity, like if he had a favorite charity and then like proceeds of any portions of whatever proceeds for coming that figure would go to charity, I'd feel a little bit better about it. Yeah. I don't know. It I just goes to show you nothing can ever be 100% good uh, because we have that. Okay, so that is it for we will not reference any more spoilers for Ghostbusters Afterlife. You can uh, we can, I'll take the banner off. Uh, we're good. There was one other before we see if any uh, questions have come in. There was one other um, story I wanted to talk about, and I think it's an interesting discussion. And this also refers to uh, a family that is being portrayed right now in film, and that is the Williams family. Uh, King Richard, which is about Venus and Serena Williams, and uh, particularly Venus's rise to fame and prominence as a tennis player, uh, and also their father, Richard, uh, who guided their career, was a polarizing figure in sports, certainly was uh, uh, their first coach, and you know, and, and the movie shows this, worked them very hard, had very high expectations for them, uh, and there was already some, some, some I, I don't even know if you call it controversy, everything, it, when, whenever somebody says something on Twitter, someone says it's a controversy but i saw that there were several people and some threads going around of people that kind of had said well i wish that this wasn't about the man behind the williams sisters etc but again you, you can't just make a blanket pronouncement about this because this is not a movie that was made without the involvement of the williams family in fact the williams family was very involved uh, and i wanted to share something this is actually part of a letter that came with the stuff, this is a four-year consideration season, so a lot of the films, and I'm very lucky to be uh, in a couple of critics groups, a lot of the films will send screening materials as well as sometimes a, a, a message or a note uh, from the people that were involved. And so there was a, a message that came uh, with the screener for King Richard, and it was uh, attributed and signed by Venus and Serena Williams. And there was something that I wanted to point out about the uh, this exact issue. Uh, there was one passage in particular that said... Um, um, uh, really talking about the, the scenes and the memories and the fact that this was about to be, this is a movie that was supposed to be uh, about their whole family. Uh, they say, quote, our dad's vision was even bigger than our circumstances and it was powerful enough to boldly usher our entire family into a future he dreamed of, he dreamed up, one which would have an impact not only on tennis, not only on female athletes of color, but on the entire world. Will and the filmmakers invited us and our sisters to be heavily involved because there is no us without our sisters. We wanted to make sure that our story was not only told the right way, but that it highlighted the critical role black fathers play in a family. It's so important for artists to tell positive stories of black fatherhood and for audiences to see them. Our sister, Isha Price, served as an executive producer and was on set every day to advise them and to honor our family's legacy. So again, um, I, I think that there is a, a tendency for people to just sort of sometimes knee-jerk and be offended on behalf of others where that offense is not necessarily taken. And, and I think that, that that people that saw King Richard and automatically jumped to this conclusion that's like, wait a minute, this is supposed to be about Venus and Serena. Is this an issue that goes on, especially when they're, excuse me, when there are movies made about people where they're not involved, where, you know, you focus uh, on the man behind the woman. Um, yes, of course that happens. But again, you can't just take one, uh, some instances of something happening and apply that broadly to everything. Because if you watch this movie, this is very obviously a very personal story. 
and again, you can tell that Venus and Serena Williams saying right there, they wanted this to be a story not about them, but about their family and the idea of uh, talking about their father's role in their lives to to jump immediately uh, into the sort of being offended by how the story was told without even really checking in to see if this is how Venus and Serena Williams wanted their story to be told, which it is. Uh, again, I think this is what really leads to so much of the uh, just venom and 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 anger uh, that we see, particularly on social media, is people just jump to a thing without even doing a, a, any investigation about it or 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 look at research or looking into it. And and I know that social media is rife for hot takes, uh, but at the same time, you know, you don't want to start these these again. It's, it comes down to these false narratives where you know you're trying to rile people up to be offended on behalf of Venus and Serena Williams when they were the ones along with their family who not only approved this story but were were crucial in how the story was told and were there advising etc the same way that i think some people jumped of course um is the title of the movie venus williams is the title of the movie venus and serena is the no. title of the movie The Williams Sisters? What movie no. did people expect based on that title? Of course we knew whose story they were telling. And again, that's the story that was chosen to be told. I would definitely be very interested in seeing something that is focused on Venus and Serena, but I wasn't expecting that in this movie. Like, what did yeah. people expect? I'm just curious. I it's I think that there because I saw people also sort of jumping and 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 jumping onto Ghostbusters Afterlife sort of on behalf of the Ramis family and saying oh this is exploitation etc I you know I think that there are cases there there are times when that is the case yes there are times when the achievements of women uh, people of color are diminished in order to tell the story of uh, the men or the white people or whoever uh, that were behind their success that's happened in so many other films. Uh, but the point being, that's not the case in either of these things. This was not an exploitation of Harold Ramis because his family obviously was involved and signed on and were 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 touched by this portrayal. This is not uh, a a sort of shunning of the legacy of Venus and Serena because again they were involved. So I think that it's just important to you know to note when, when these things come up to make sure that you're not kind of grabbing the torch and the pitchfork uh, to be offended on behalf of somebody before you check to see if they themselves are offended by this or or this is a misrepresentation of them. If Venus and Serena had come out and said, we really feel like that our achievements were diminished in this film and it focused too heavily on our father, then that would be a different discussion. But that's not the case. And I just think it's another example of, uh, you know, I don't know. People people like to kind of jump and, and and be at the center of a conversation sometimes, and it's not always warranted. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's not. But we, we don't really live in a gray society right now. It's sort of a well, polarized society. You know? I'll be our resident cynic today because I'm in that sort of mood. <laughs> Outrage is trendy. It doesn't matter if it's warranted or unwarranted. Outrage gets yeah. you clicks. It gets you likes. It gets you shared. gets you followers. Outrage is very in vogue. And it sometimes it's earned, sometimes it's necessary. And sometimes that discourse is incredibly important to change like the social landscape of how we look at stuff. But other yeah. times it's just people being attention horse. Yeah, sometimes. Uh, how's the, what's the baking update? How are we doing over there? Are we still in prep mode? What are you, what are you, what are you, uh, I've it's, just it's added very rare eggs. that we get a live look at you cooking. So I've just added the eggs and egg yolks. So I'm going to add in some honey in a little bit and some seasoning. Ooh. Should we try to have Ben b- uh, bake along with you and see if uh, he can replicate <gasps> can we, what happened we when we did the 
when we did the I cookies. I don't think Ben has any cornmeal though. So, cause oh, I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm making cornbread. So you got to have cornmeal. Oh, that's too bad. Uh, cause those womp cookies womp. turned out so great. Uh, way back when, when you tried to make cookies with Ben. <laughs> I um, love that you were there for that. That honestly makes it so much more special. That was amazing. Let me see if we've got any questions. Wow. Already. We Jeez, have a lot of questions. People, uh, ben is helping in. out by uh, the way. Normally I would do questions, yes. but I'm busy. And so Ben, ben is, is wrangling. doing all of the work and I'm taking all the credit. Uh, Linger uh, 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 just donated and said no question. Linger. John Linger. Air. What's that? Air. Linger. I'm sorry. Yes. Linger. I'm sorry. I, thank you, Mara. Mara helps keep me with pronunciations correct. Linger says uh, no question. Just thank you very much, Linger. I appreciate that. John Layton. Wow. An incredibly generous, uh, generous donation. Just says, love you guys. Happy Thanksgiving. John, that's incredible. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Jody uh, donated and said, jumping jack, yippee. That that was worthy of, uh, that was worthy of um, a young Anakin Skywalker, that yippee. Uh, Peyton uh, with an update for, uh, uh, oh yeah, Peyton uh, sent us a package. Uh, yes, Peyton, I'm sorry, I haven't responded to your message. We're going to go check that the post box probably uh, if we can on Friday. I, I think it, 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 it that happens sometimes. It should be there for pickup, but I'll let you know if we have an issue. But thank you for that. Uh, Michael saying, what is Mara cooking? Happy Thanksgiving. Mara, do you want to uh, give uh, a, a, an update for those that weren't here at the beginning? A cornbread? Is, is first I'm up. currently yes. making my sweet seasoned uh, fall festive cornbread. It has um, clover honey, a little bit of like the traditional almost like pumpkin pie spices, but like microscopic amounts. It doesn't taste like pumpkin pie. It mostly just tastes like sweet cornbread. But I put a little tiny, like a pinch of cloves, a pinch of uh, freshly grated nutmeg, and maybe like a little pinch of allspice, but just because. Uh, and then I'm finishing. I made my Famous shortbread cookies last night. I'm going to frost those later with some royal icing. Uh, and then I'm making yeast rolls, which take forever because I want to tie them in little fancy knots this year. Uh, and then my pumpkin pie, my double crusted <laughs> deep dish pumpkin pie. Like I had to go get a special deep dish for the pie. Oh, we're so. eating good tomorrow. We are eating real good tomorrow. I can't wait. Uh, Jodester with a very generous donation, just saying happy Thanksgiving. Love you guys. Thank you so much, Jodester. Always great to see you in the chat, and that's very, very generous of you. Thank you so much. Uh, Panthers fan, kill me. Uh-oh. Well, obviously not a great NFL season. How do you prepare when you see a movie you know you have to criticize and tear apart to give a review, but still try to enjoy it all the same as if you aren't trying to criticize it, but to enjoy it like everyone else? Well, I think it sort of goes into your mentality, which is, I try not to go into a movie knowing that I'm going to have to criticize it and tear it apart. And sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised. I mean, I, I legitimately, Mara will tell you, I legitimately go into every Transformers movie with the sincere hope that this will be the one that is going to uh, turn things around. And you know what? With Bumblebee, I was right. I liked that movie. And, and I was prepared for the same crappy Transformers movie I'd already seen many times before um, with F9. I, I went in with an open mind. I didn't particularly enjoy the film, but sometimes I go into a movie. Uh, Den of Thieves was one where I was just like, oh, this is going to be another Gerard Butler, you know, crappy. And and I ended up really liking that movie. So I, I think for me, the, 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 the key is to not go into a movie saying, oh, this is going to be terrible. Uh, and then sometimes I'm surprised. I mean, House of Gucci, which I did like overall uh, and i'll get into it a little bit more tomorrow but house of gucci was one where i'd heard great things and i'd heard bad things and it would have been easy to go in with a critical eye being like all right i'm ready to tear this thing a new hole 
Uh, but I actually ended up liking it. It's it's. I try to go in free of any expectation, good or bad, which is not always the easiest thing to do. But I, I think that's where some people fall into a trap is they go into they, – they decide which movies they're going to go into ready to hate before they even see them. And I think that generally tends to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Well, I think part uh, of it is also – I think there's a little bit of a misunderstanding. Like film criticism can also be singing the praises of a movie. Like it's not mm-hmm. – you're not intending to go in there and chop it to bits – like if you are, then honestly, you're not a very good critic, um, because criticism involves like discussing all the aspects of a movie and analyzing them according to some objective metrics and some subjective metrics. And I mean, it doesn't have to be like you can walk into a movie like a uh, Parasite, and guess what? Film criticism occurred about that movie. It was just overwhelmingly positive. Yeah. And furthermore, I'd like to point out, uh, with no names being being dropped, but. Uh, one bad example is our screening of Venom, where every single person was just like, oh, got to watch this dog pile now. And it's like, oh, cool. So you're definitely going to like it then. Like yeah. people had made up their minds before they even saw that movie. Many people had. Yes. And I think that I I was prepared for a terrible movie and I ended up enjoying it. So, yeah, we ran go. out of that theater before talking to anybody we knew because we were like, yeah, we're the only people that like this. Yeah, there's usually a little a huddle of critics uh, oftentimes outside after a screening. And, and we, we forewent the uh, usual huddle because I was very sure and I was pretty much right that I would be the only ones uh, along with Mara that actually enjoyed the movie. Uh, Sevens92 says, do you think Lin-Manuel Miranda's directing of Tick, Tick, Boom is Oscar nom worthy? I think it would be cool if his eventual EGOT was achieved by a non-Best Original Song Oscar. I really loved Tick, Tick, Boom, and I think it had some great directorial flair to it. I think that it's uh, it's possible, but I think it's going to be so competitive this year. I mean, I when you have so many great I think it might be able to get an editing movies, nom, though. It could perhaps get an editing, a sound editing uh, particularly. I think it definitely could. Andrew Garfield, I think, is going to be the main focus for that. But I also think we have a oh, year I meant, like, where... film editing. like Because the pacing of that movie and the framing device is so necessary and how they go back and forth and how they shape the film. I can yeah, see it. Uh, it's it's that's definitely possible. I just think in the directing category, um, even movies like Dune, etc., I, I, it's so competitive. And I wonder, oh, hello, cat. Uh, I wonder if we are going to be. I love Muffin, but she only ever picks this time when I'm on the air to do this. Um, that's not true. She loves you. She's usually in the uh, show. People the cubby behind your chair. Oh uh, yeah, she's back here a lot of times, but yeah, I just mean she like might go in, there in, my, in my face, it. like uh, in my face uh, as the show goes. Um, anyway, I, I think it's possible, especially if Tick Tick Boom kind of picks up momentum as award season goes on. But I would not put him as one of the favorites, just because there are so many other uh, movies that have a, a huge directorial style, style directorial flair. Ridley Scott's got two this year. Denis Villeneuve has a yeah. movie. Uh, there's just a lot going on. Uh, Mercurial, Mercurial Funk says, Hey, Dan, I know you've Great watched name. animated shows before. Uh, with its review and ratings, have you thought about watching Arcane on Netflix? What? Yes, most definitely. I haven't heard about a movie. Sorry, as I bumped the camera. I haven't heard about a movie uh, or a show uh, like I've been hearing about this show since uh, Demon Slayer, which I loved. So, yes, I am going to commit that I'm going to watch Arcane. However, uh, I can't commit to a time frame only because... These next uh, six days, seven days, six days, are the the first uh, the first deadline for nominating. Um, and and one of my critics groups is in six days, and I always try to uh, see as many of the movies as I can because I don't want to be one of the people that's just like, well, 
I heard this person's good, or I only watch like the six movies that I hear have the most hype and just nominate those. Like I try to, and you could never watch all of them, but I try to watch as many of the movies as I can to actually nominate the ones that I personally think are the best, not the sort of consensus. So I'm going to be very tied up with that for the next week or so. But I I do want to catch Arcane because I've heard great things about it. So I'm thinking probably next week, uh, but then we go to L.A. for a week for Spectacular. Uh, In December, I'm hoping to get a review out for Arcane, and hopefully people will still be interested in hearing what I think because I've heard some great things about it. Harbs says, Happy Turkey Day to you and Mara. Any Thanksgiving movie suggestions that are not planes, trains, and automobiles? I think Coda has potential if more people catch on to it. Also, Fast and Furious movies because they're about family i mean they are about family so fast and furious would be a good one uh coda is a great movie and i feel like because it's on apple tv plus most people haven't heard of it and i wonder if it's even going to be on the award show radar that's a great movie it's a great family movie um i mean plane strings and automobiles is such a perfect thanksgiving film home for the holidays is one i haven't seen it in quite a while but it's one of the few other ones that are specifically focused on thanksgiving it's got uh, uh jody foster directed it it's got holly hunter in it it's got robert downey jr in it uh, it's a great ensemble cast uh, i would recommend that i think i may revisit it at some point because it's a specifically thanksgiving movie which there aren't that many of john lestrina thank you john uh do you know what pairs uh with a nice thanksgiving dinner and ice cold corona add lime to give it an extra boost as the great dominic <laughs> toretto said salud mi familia see Ugh. fast and furious it's all about family john lestrina uh, they should so. fly him out to the next premiere or oh, something yeah. for, for for fast and furious i've never seen anybody who's as big a fan of fast and furious as john lestrina i love it uh letty Maybe, perhaps, the Fast and Furious is Letty. Oh, man, we're really it's... getting some uh, attention now. Yeah. Uh, Letty says, why do you think Eternals is getting a hard time in the U.S. but doing well worldwide? Here in the U.K., sales are not dipping as much, and they uh, the overall views are very positive. I loved the movie. Uh, that's a good question. I think that... I don't know exactly. I think part of it is that it's... <laughs> This is going to sound very uh, against my my own country, but I think that worldwide audiences are a little more receptive to the artistic nature of Eternals, um, which has kind of always been the case, uh, than perhaps a lot of folks here that are that are more used to to the typical uh, Marvel film. That I mean, I didn't like Eternals um, particularly, and it wasn't because it wasn't the typical Marvel movie. I just kind of wasn't on board. But I think it does have kind of a a more global perspective than we've seen in a lot of Marvel movies, meaning that uh, it's not the typical American blockbuster, which you could sort of group a lot of other Marvel movies into. And I think that's part of it. And then I think uh, also we're, we're, we're so inundated with, with things here, with movies here, and it's not quite as bad around the world. And so I think Eternals might also be a, a little bit more of an event in a lot of countries. So that would be my guess, although I don't know for sure. Just a couple of guesses. Uh, Sakaki Kronos says, Greetings, Dan. What is your opinion on the Austin Powers films? Do you think Hollywood should go and reboot slash remake slash give it another sequel sometime soon? I think that the Austin Powers films are... Uh, go in, in in release order is kind of my think, feeling as far as quality goes. Um, although I do feel that there are specific bits of the movie that get funnier uh, in each one. So I think that overall the first Austin Powers is the best one. 
I think the second one is good. It's a little more uneven, but it has some funnier bits than the first uh, movie does. And then I think that three overall is the least consistent, but also has some of the funniest parts of any of the three, if that makes any sense. So I, it, I think that they got all... Uh, I think they got very inconsistent as they went, but there were still high watermarks in all of them. I think Austin Powers is something we can later rest. I, I, I don't, I just don't, it was so of its time, ironically. Um, I, 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 I'm not really, let's invent the next new parody uh, franchise. Why, why do we have to keep reinventing Austin Powers? Uh, I'm I fine agree. with leaving it where it is. Stretchy Hulk, my favorite name, says, Happy Thanksgiving. Are you going to get to go see Licorice Pizza soon? I am making a trek into New York City this weekend to see it in 70mm. Viva PTA. Ooh. Yes, I get to see Licorice Pizza on uh, a week from t- uh, yesterday. So next Tuesday, I get to see Licorice Pizza. So you will be getting a review of that right around then. We It's not opening here, I don't think, for like another month or something. But luckily, yeah. we have some great people here that are really putting in some legwork to get us screenings here in Arkansas because we're actually making another trek to Dallas on Monday to go see West Side Story because that's the closest place where it's playing, at least this early. And again, I want to see that movie before the nomination deadlines, etc. So we're making a lot of trips out of town to see movies, but we get to see Licorice Pizza here. I actually get to see that and Don't Look Up the same day next Tuesday. So look out for reviews of those then. Haskell 420. Hey, Haskell. What's that? Jelly, I jelly. know. Yeah, they're, they're clamping down on guests. They won't let me go. It's it's kind of silly. There's like eight uh, people in that theater. I know. Haskell420 says, Hi, Dan and Mara. Happy Thanksgiving Eve. I thought it was BS, but it is real. The Daily Bugle has a TikTok account with Jay Jonah and unpaid intern Betty Brandt. I saw that. That sounds like something it that Jay Jonah Jameson would do. I think that he would have an unpaid intern run a TikTok account for him. What are these kids doing? Give me a TikTok. I don't know. I don't want this thing. I can see that. Eric Grebner. Uh, thank you, Eric. Just got here and wonderful seeing Mara cooking. Mara, have you ever used grains of paradise? This is the secret ingredient to the apple pie I'm making in a bit. Well, Eric, your secret's out. First of all, I, I hate to tell you, we are streaming live. I don't. Grains of paradise sounds like something in Dungeons and Dragons. Have it you ever does. used grains I, of paradise? I don't even know what it is. I mean, I, I've definitely done like my alternative to an apple pie, which is a quince pie, because a quince is kind of like an apple, but like mm-hmm. more fancy kind of. But no, I, I don't know what this is. And I feel like I need to. I feel for some reason like I should. I'm a failure. Yeah. I'm going to I'm never baking again. <laughs> no, that's not true at all. Uh, and finally, before we move on to our next story, uh, Zenote. Zenot Likax, I'm so sorry, I'm not even close to what it probably is. Zenot Likax. I'm curious about the nationality of your channel's now sizable audience. Do you have an estimate on how many are from outside the U.S.? Much love from an enthusiastic yet tired Swede. Well, I hope you're able to get some some rest. Uh, That's a great question. I could actually look that up right now, uh, thanks to YouTube, which has some very handy analytics that I can uh, check out. Um, which is actually very useful to know. Yes. I'm thirsty. Oh, I'm sorry, honey. I'm on the air, but I, I'm, I have moral support for your, uh, (laughs) for you getting a drink considering you're in far closer proximity to the refrigerator. Well, we'll we'll have to wait till we're done, honey. I'm sorry. Um, 49, sorry. 
as I bump the camera, 49.8% of my views in the last uh, month have been inside the United States. So right now it's about 50-50. 50% in the U.S., about 50% out. Looks like the U.K., Canada, Australia, and India are my next uh, biggest ones, but it's they're all single digits. So, yeah, I mean, that's something I always have to keep in mind is uh, not everybody that I'm talking to lives in the U.S. As a matter of fact, we're running about half and half right now at least as far as I know. All right. Thank you for sending those questions in. We'll check back in with them a little bit later. Just a reminder, uh, Streamlabs, $5 and up. You'll get your question asked on the air. Thank you to everybody that sent in a question so far and just a donation. Very generous, and I and I really, really do appreciate it. Let's move on to something that I saw yesterday that just I, – I heard the idea, and I was like, well, maybe they could make something out of this, but it's it's not off to a promising start. And that is a show that is debuting next year on Peacock called – Bel Air, which uh, Will Smith is involved with. He's not in it, but he is helping to produce it. It is an hour-long, dramatic uh, reimagining of the iconic sitcom The Fresh Prince of Bel Air, which ran on NBC throughout much of the 1990s. It was really the star-making turn for Will Smith. They released a teaser. I would play a little clip of the teaser, but I got in trouble. I We got our video demonetized over the seven-second uh, uh, clip that we play, played of Kiss fighting the monsters in the amusement park a couple weeks ago, so I'm not even going to mess with anything that has music in it. There was a teaser trailer of for Bel Air that played. It uh, featured uh, the star of the show uh, underwater in a swimming pool. It played with the iconography of the show a little bit uh, as we got to see uh, uh, him sitting on the throne as the Prince of Bel Air uh, with the crown, things floating around. Uh, we have a very stylized logo uh, for the show itself uh, uh, of Bel Air. Uh, and then, uh, you know, just kind of inside jokes, uh, kind of a Nirvana-esque thing, swimming around, reaching out for the crown. Now, over this was a very dramatic reading of some of the lyrics from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air theme song, about uh, life getting uh, flipped, uh, turned upside down, uh, sitting on the throne, etc. Um, we see the fuzzy dice floating in the swimming pool. I've got to be honest, this felt like to me something that would have been made for Funny or Die like five years ago. Like one of those videos that went viral because they did this like parody thing of like, Oh, what if Fresh Prince of Bel Air was, uh, you know, a dramatic series, and they made this? Like the fact that this is, like, for real. I've I've got to be honest. Was I? Listen, you, you can pull anything off. Um, I've certainly been proven wrong with things like the Lego Movie, but everything about this to me just seems somewhat ridiculous. Uh, this is the uh, official summary of the show provided by Peacock. Set in modern-day America, Bel Air is a serialized, one-hour dramatic analog of the 90s sitcom The Fresh Prince of Bel Air that leans into the original premise, Will's complicated journey from the streets of West Philadelphia to the gated mansions of Bel Air. With a reimagined vision, Bel Air will, will dive deeper into the inherent conflicts, emotions, and biases that were impossible to fully explore in a 30-minute sitcom format while still delivering swagger and nods to the original show. Um, which again, if you're if you're gonna do this, then I don't need to I don't need to see a Carlton dance. Like if you're gonna do this, don't give me the nods to the original show. Just make your own show. It's like you're sort of you're pleasing they nobody have their here. Cake and eat it too. 
Yes, exactly. If you want to make, I mean, you could, first of all, there's a great drama to be made about somebody moving from the East Coast to the West Coast and the culture shock, et cetera. Uh, and, but like, this is just, I hope this show's great and I'm the wrongest I've ever been because this just seems really dumb to me. It's oh. like the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air was, first of all, it got serious and it was really good at getting serious. Like there were moments in the show, like when Will's talking about, you know, his dad um, and, and his abandonment issues, they, they did tackle race. They did do things and the gun violence, they, they tackled things on the show from time to time in a very serious way. And it worked. So I don't know where this idea was that the nineties Fresh Prince of Bel-Air wasn't able to get into serious topics because it 100% was, and it did. And it was not that bad. No, I think it actually, again, I, I like the idea when media can kind of con you into learning a lesson because if you already agree with the the social topics of something, just seeing it validated on screen doesn't really contribute to the conversation. But that show was a comedy. And I think that there are some people that were probably watching that were not expecting to get some sort of serious lesson or critique on race. And guess what? They were there, they were watching, they got it. And they are endeared to these characters uh, through established development, but also through the comedy. And then they learn this lesson or they get to talk about it and they say, oh, I never thought of it like that. Because some people, whether it's just the absence of empathy or being so completely unaware because they just had vastly different circumstances that they didn't realize through genuine, uh, well-intentioned ignorance, like you can talk about something like that. And I like that. I like that you can convince people to learn lessons. And I mean, and I watched the Save by the Bell, and I know that there's a, I think, a second season that you can watch now. I watched the Save by the Bell reboot, and I, I actually somewhat enjoyed that um, because they kept it in the same universe. It's of the same kind of spirit of the show, but it is updated. Like they do talk about important things, which Save by the Bell also did, uh, but in a, in a, I'll admit it, in a, in a much cheesier way. Uh, but they were able to expand the diversity and representation of the cast, and yet it's still the spirit of the original show. It, it's still at its heart what the original show was, and I think that it works. And so I, I just, I don't know. It, it, And I know that it kind of has its roots in sort of like a fan, like, you know, this was kind of the guy was pitching it, you know, but I don't think it was being pitched as a parody originally. It feels like th- this is this is just going to be taken so seriously. And I just, it just, I don't know. It, it's just off on the wrong foot with me. Maybe it'll be a great show. Maybe it will be. But this to me seems like the most self-serious thing. And again, this felt like a, this felt like a parody. This really did feel like a parody. And so I, I it's not off to a great start, but there've been plenty of things that have been marketed poorly. That turned out good. So I'm not going to write this off. I'm going to give it a shot. I, I just, I, I don't agree with the this approach because gritty, fresh prints, reboot, it, it just, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, let's see what is next up on the rundown. Jurassic World, Dominion is coming out next summer, finally. Uh, Jeff Goldblum will return. Uh, we're having a sale. Um, Sorry, it's one of my favorite Jeff Goldblum bits from Portlandia. We do that all the time. Jeff Goldblum is coming back. Laura Dern is coming back. Sam Neill is coming back. Who knows who else is coming back? Uh, So it's going to be the end of the new... Dinosaurs are coming back. It's going to be the end of the new Jurassic World trilogy. And they released a five-minute prologue 
on YouTube to help uh, help promote the film. It, it appears that this may be the actual prologue to the film. We spend a lot of the time 65 million years ago, back when the dinosaurs when dinosaurs ruled the earth as uh, the original movie set up. So we got to see uh, a bunch of dinosaurs walking around and uh, doing uh, you know, dinosaur things. We saw uh, tyr- pteranodons. Those, I'm sure they're not. They look like pteranodons, but I- I'm sure they're not. Vast caverns, uh, empty canyons, uh, a fight. Now, here's what I like about this picture. You can see they're sort of trying to, r- not retcon, but like appease the new science because you see here with the T-Rex, they're not exactly feathers, but they're revising the they're, when they show the dinosaurs as they were. They're kind of going into the fact that they have some sort of a feather type uh, thing on their skin. So you know they're they're trying to update the science as you go. Of course, you could always say that the reason that the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park don't have that is because they were engineered not to. And you know what? I'm okay with that explanation. Uh, then we get a cameo from the mosquito. The mosquito, ladies and gentlemen. The one person in Jurassic uh, the Park franchise that we haven't yet revisited. The mosquito sucking the blood out of the Tyrannosaurus Rex. And then we get a very helpful title card that says that we are now 65 million years later. In case you didn't know, uh, this is now modern times. We have a Tyrannosaurus Rex that is running through the woods. It's on a rampage. There's a drive-in movie theater, which is playing um, a... It was a double feature of Flash Gordon and American Graffiti. Which, sorry, folks, if that's, I mean, listen, they're not bad movies, but, you know, it's, it's a bit, you know, anyway. So, yeah, there's a there's drive-in theater. The T-Rex comes in. First of all, I don't care. Like, literally preceding this, there's people running and screaming and cars getting flipped over. And these three jokers uh, just sitting here um, completely oblivious. I don't know, you know, I, I know that they're just like, oh, look how hip they are. They don't notice anything. But, I mean, there's a point to which your characters just have to be dumb, to not notice what's going on. Uh, the dinosaur goes up, it roars in front of the screen, the film breaks, it runs off, and then we get a, a to be continued next summer in Jurassic World Dominion. I, you know, to me, the coolest part of this trailer, and it's the first image I pulled, Ben, was the sort of Pangea-like uh, logo for Universal. So it says Universal, and then it disappears, and then, like, that that was the coolest thing for me, which was in the first 10 seconds. Um, Colin Trevorrow returns to direct... It's coming out next summer. It's well, like I'm I said before. That he's able to be trusted after Book of Henry. They took right, away but his remember Star he, War. but he could, but he would have saved it because somebody leaked a script and it, he would have saved the whole franchise. So uh-huh, he's out sure, of movie jail. Definitely, of course. Um, I am going to remain optimistic as much as I can. I will say this prologue didn't do a whole lot for me. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Um, it, it did not do much for me. I actually liked the thing they put out uh, like a year or so ago that was like the short film where they're camping and the Camp dinosaurs Cretaceous? come out. Was that it? Yeah, no, that's like the kids' show. They did like oh, a, it was like shit. a one off. Sorry, dang it. Uh, they did it like called? a one off. I, uh, anyway, uh, it, I, I liked that better than this, and apparently that's not going to be part of the movie. Crap. Um, Why can't I think of it? Yeah, I don't know. This it. just didn't. This didn't do a whole lot for me. So my brain is broken. Uh, ben, you've got something to say. Pop in here. You you never have to ask ben. permission. Just pop in and say hi. I just I just have one thing to say is that this movie, I mean this trailer. One, go watch Camp Cretaceous. I'm telling you, it's amazing. It's better than both Jurassic World movies combined. The seasons are so fun. They're so lighthearted. Everybody, go watch Camp Cretaceous. Um, season four is about to come out. I'm so excited. Um, but then, just like this trailer, just proves 
how easy it would be to capture these dinosaurs. It's at a <laughs> drive-in movie theater. Like there's and in the is I saw this in IMAX. I didn't rewatch it, so I don't know if it's the exact same thing. But uh-huh. it's like is there a helicopter going around and they're just missing it and then it's like like so yeah. you just so it basically it's Jurassic World because of just pure incompetence by fish and wildlife or I don't know. I I I'm done. It's okay. Bye. <laughs> it's already broken, Ben. Um, yeah, you know, if listen, if if I I know I'm gonna have to review this movie, so I I I have I I feel like I have to maintain a professional uh, aura of um, impartiality. But uh, yeah, this doesn't do a whole lot for me. It doesn't give me a whole lot of hope. But up until that movie starts rolling in front of my eyes, I will remain hopeful that this will do much uh, more for me than the previous two Jurassic World films have done, which is not much. Uh, uh, which is no news to anyone who's been following me for quite some time. I'm not particularly a fan of the previous two Jurassic World films, um, and I hope this one is better. At the very least, let's let's bring back the characters for a good reason. Let's give them something to do. Jeff Goldblum came in and taped for like two hours, and then they made him the whole trailer of the last movie. Let's hope that all this hype around the returning characters isn't like one scene of them having dinner. Uh, I mean, even and Jurassic Park quoting. 3, they brought back Ellie to be like, Look at the wife and mother who can make phone calls and save the day. Yeah, it, yeah. So uh, let's hope they at least bring them back in some kind of meaningful role. That that's always a hope for me. Let's see if you've got any more questions that you've sent in because it's not just my show; it's your show too. We have one from Jarrett. Jarrett says, "Million dollar questions here: Is Nightmare Before Christmas a Christmas movie, and is Die Hard a Christmas movie?" I'm trying to think. I, I think I argued this once on Movie Fights. I, well, I think Die Hard think... is definitely a Christmas movie. Die Hard is 100% a Christmas movie. No question about it. I think I may have argued on an early episode of Movie Fights that Nightmare Before Christmas is a Christmas movie, but I honestly think it's a Halloween movie. It's mo- I... it's both. The answer is it's both, but I think it's more of a Halloween movie. I just don't really care because I didn't watch it until like a couple years ago, so I don't have any nostalgia for it. It can be whatever you want it to be. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, Eric Grebner says, uh, Grains of Paradise is also known as alligator pepper. It's an African spice used in some Creole dishes. Ooh, so there you go. That sounds Ooh, That sounds like I want it now. I also said Creole. Did they sell it at Whole Foods? I said Creole. Weird. I said Creole. Did they sell it at Whole Foods? I- I'm betting they do. It sounds like something they sell at Whole Foods. Uh, Cody Mills says, I've been watching you for years, and somehow this is the first time seeing and hearing from Mara. Y'all seem great together. Oh, thank you, Cody. I think we are, too. I appreciate that. I like you, Dan. I like you, too. You're awesome. Uh, Jodster, thank you again, Jodster. Very generous. I think Bel Air has such a following, it's going to be a hard sell. Not something I'd be interested in, but if someone wants it, more power to them. Yeah, and listen, I again, it's sort of like with Jurassic World. Everyone th- it kind of feels like I'm rooting against the Jurassic World movies. Nothing would delight me more than a great Jurassic World movie, because you know what that means? We have a great Jurassic World movie. So I would be delighted if Bel Air comes out and it's like, you know what? I thought this was a dumb idea. The marketing was terrible. And they actually made a great show because that would mean there's a great TV show out there for people to enjoy. But uh, yeah, I'm not rooting against it. I'm just not particularly yeah Oops. in favor thus far. 
Uh, Panthers fan Kill Me, again, I'm so sorry, says, uh, Doug Jones is one of the most underrated actors. This, I love this. Doug Jones is one of the most underrated actors ever. He literally becomes every character and spends half his life in a makeup chair. Why do the Oscars not notice the actors that wear costumes and makeup or even motion capture like Andy Serkis? They should. Panthers fan, I should be, I should be paying you $5 for that comment. Bravo. Yes. Mara and I actually were watching uh, the features on Pan's Labyrinth because it was part of our movie club last month back in October. And uh, they went into the whole thing about Doug Jones and the fact that, like, you know, that's all him. They just were, you know, using effects to take out green stockings around his legs. But, like, he traced the evolution of the fawn and, like, started out as an old person, like, older. And then as the movie goes, gets younger. He learned the lines phonetically so that the dubbing looked good. And, I, yes, and motion capture, I've said my piece on many times. 100%, I think it should be considered alongside every other kind of acting. Uh, and then at a minimum, acting like we should Doug have Jones. a special yes. achievement Oscar for it. Like yes. it should be a regularly dispensed when earned special yes. achievement Oscar, like kind of like before they had um, visual effects and stuff. Exactly. They used to do that for a lot of technical categories. They wouldn't give a visual effects Oscar every year, but then in years where it was, was warranted, they would just award. And it was like winning one. They would award an Academy award for uh, something like visual effects. And I think that they should do that. And, and, I really hope. uh, Yeah, I think that's yeah, exactly. I I really hope that in the near future, that actors like Doug Jones and Andy Serkis, at the very least, if they're not going to recognize them with an official Academy Awards character uh, or a category, at the very least, they should be awarded honorary Academy Awards because they have added so much to the fabric of film. And Doug Jones also television. Uh, because he was in things like the Buffy episode with the with the uh, silent guys that kind of like floated through. Like he was like the oh, main yeah, yeah. guy. They've added so much to the fabric, and they never get their due. So here, here, Panthers fan, I'm with you on that train. Robert Stack, very generous. Thank you, Mr. Oh, Stack. Robert Stack, always love hearing from him. Thanks or for her. being you. Uh, and uh, you know, as Mr. Stack would say, maybe you can solve this mystery. Uh, Josh Kahn says, hey, Dan, not sure if you have checked it out yet, but with Arcane first season done, I can't recommend it enough. Top three show of the year, in my opinion, a must watch. Yes, Josh, I was saying earlier, as soon as I am like temporarily, (laughs) temporarily able to watch Arcane, it is on my watch list because I very much want to see the show. I've heard so much about it. So stay tuned. I will be weighing in on Arcane as soon as I'm able to see it. Let's talk about Ridley Scott. We're going to be talking about House of Gucci here on the channel tomorrow. I'll have my review out for the second Ridley Scott film of the year. Uh, But the first film that came out was a movie called The Last Duel, which did not do well at the box office. And Ridley Scott has some thoughts about this. Uh, These have been much publicized. He believes that he has targeted the culprit behind the box office failure of The Last Duel. And he thinks that it is, well... The headlines say millennials, but he has another word for them. Uh, These comments were made on Mark Maron's WTF podcast uh, just this past week. And Ridley Scott says, quote, I think what it boils down to what we've got today are the audiences who were brought up on these effing cell phones. The millennium do not ever want to be taught anything unless you're told it on a cell phone. This is a broad stroke, but I think we're dealing with it right now with Facebook This is a misdirection that has happened where it's given the wrong kind of confidence to this latest generation, I think. Um, And, you know, listen, a lot of people have taken Ridley Scott to task because uh, millennials are actually like my age down to like 25. So I think the youngest millennial at this point 
is about 25 years old. And now we have the generation under us. Um, but this gets a little more complicated because I think that Ridley Scott is angry at the right people, but for the wrong reasons, because I did a little research and according to deadline, only 28% of the audience for the last duel, this was when it, on opening weekend, at least only 28% of the audience for the last duel was over 25. So in actuality, 72% of the audience was actually younger than millennials. So young kids or young people did show up for the last duel, but millennials, 25 and older, did not. So Ridley Scott is actually angry at the right people, but for the wrong reason, because the millennials are not the kids on their cell phones with the Facebook, which, by the way, both of those things are also not accurate. Um, unless he's talking about people my age and older who are on their cell phones and are on Facebook. So I think maybe Ridley Scott actually might have had it pegged. I think he wasn't yelling at kids. He was yelling at people 25 and up uh, who are uh, on, on, the, on the Facebook because I think everybody older than 25 is a boomer at this point, at least from what I understand, um, are, are, are on the Facebook doing the, the, the stuff that you do on the Facebook. Um, so, you know, I think Ridley Scott may have been misinterpreted here. I think he might have nailed it. I think he nailed it. It's just that everyone assumed he was talking about kids. Uh, he was actually talking about the people who did not show up for the last duel. So I'm going to go to bat for Ridley Scott a little bit here. I don't know whether he knows he was right or not, but he was actually right about who to be angry at here. Um, and maybe he wasn't just kind of an older man who thinks that everybody who hates this stuff are these kids in their stupid cell phones. Um, tie an onion to your belt, uh, as was the, 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 the style of the time. Um, I, I'm going to give him credit for actually being misunderstood here and say that he got it right. What do you think, Mara? I, I'm inclined to agree. I mean, I think that older directors, uh, I mean, Scorsese most notably, uh, have some pointed opinions about modern day films. Uh, and I think that this could easily just be bottled up as one of those. Well, he's old, so he doesn't know what he's talking about. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it's kind of I interesting. Though. I love when we I love when we look at the data behind these things because a lot of times there is something quantifiable to back up a statement like that. And yeah. whether he knew it or not, um, I just like looking at it through that lens because it's easy to see how something could look a certain way. Like maybe he's talked to people or maybe he's heard, you know, like, hey, I talked to my kid and my kid said, you know, from people he knows. And so he's just yeah. using a small subset of people to make this generalization. It's just that the data doesn't bear it out. I mean, older audiences have been the slowest to return to the theater. So, in a, in a way, he was correct. The millennials did leave, did let him down. Should so we just start self-identifying as millennials? I do because it's weird. Because apparently, I have to identify as a geriatric millennial. So, you know what? Yes, I'm going to. I am from now on. I am going to self-identify as a millennial because to identify myself as a geriatric millennial, uh, I I refuse to do so. So, Mara. I, I mean, I, you can you can label yourself however you want, but yes, rather than geriatric millennial, I would like to say that I now am a millennial. I'm one hey, of you know Scott's me. I don't like labels. Period. So I'm I'm fine. Although we we did go see it, so we we we're we're kind of work against that theory, but still, yes, I'm not a geriatric millennial. I'm a millennial. Official. Uh, breaking news right here on you the show. You heard it here. 
By the way, Mara? I do have breaking oh. news for you at some point when you're ready for well, it. I was about to say, why don't we get an update on how you're doing? And then uh, this is fun because usually I surprise Mara with uh, segments on the show and games and stuff, but she actually has a segment that she wanted to surprise me with. So Mara, why don't you give people an update on how you're doing? And also uh, I will turn the show over to you for your segment. All right. Um, it's going slowly. I'm trying to be as quiet as I can. Uh, I'm sifting confectioner sugar, uh, also called icing sugar. Uh, some people call it powdered sugar. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. I have to do a lot. I have to do uh, six and one thirds cups. So it's, it's kind of a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. It's very important, by the way. You always sift your sugar, uh, mm. all your dry ingredients, really. Okay, so I have a scoop. Uh -oh. I have an inside piece of information from Chloe, the director of marketing. From Netflix, so, is she back at Netflix? I, this was a very this was a covert meeting. This was okay. done very covertly. We met behind Fair a enough. Shoney's, and mm -hmm. she was a very good girl. Uh, I, I'm on my headset, by the way, so I'm going to go off camera for a moment here. Okay. But you'll be able to still hear me talk because I have Generally, to do you don't want to meet a source behind a Shoney's, uh, but we, we we trust Chloe from marketing, so uh, we'll She's allow a very it. good girl. She is a very good girl. If you don't know, Chloe, the director of marketing, was once employed by MoviePass, was apparently put on the chow line when MoviePass went out of business. Uh, but but with the potential pending, oh God, Ben, you're fired. Uh, with the please no, please don't leave. Uh, with the potential re return of Movie Pass, it would seem that Chloe, the director of marketing, may be back on the job. So I've heard that. Uh, oh, we have breaking news. Oh my goodness, Mara has somehow appeared in the studio. Hello. So um. I was told to give this to you. Um, Dan and I, by the way, so Hanukkah starts this weekend, the weekend of Thanksgiving, because yes. this year, of course, it does. And uh, we're going to be spending a majority of that time in Los Angeles. So yes. rather than bring the Hanukkah gifts to Los Angeles, we're, we've actually started gifts early. So mm -hmm. that way we will get them all finished before the trip. But we are bringing the menorah. Yes. Um, but this is a special bonus gift oh. to you from Chloe, the director of marketing. From Chloe, the director of marketing. What could it be? Is it a bill for all the money that we cost Movie Pass? It could be. Do you also uh, do you want to tell them? Oh, hi, Muffin. She went in her little cubby. Do you want to tell them who it's from? Secret Jew Santa. Yep. We 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 celebrate both Hanukkah and Christmas here. Now, yep. So. Oh my goodness! Look at this. Oh, this is incredible. See, this card is long. I mean, this card you couldn't use this card when it was actually in service, so you don't have to black out the numbers here. This is incredible, ladies and gentlemen. My movie pass card has been framed. This is my actual movie pass from the. Oh wow, this is incredible. We now have my actual oh, movie Muffin. pass immortalized forever in a frame. This Hi, is honey. never leaving the set. Hi, honey. This is never leaving the set. I love this. You thank you, girl? honey. All right. Well, thank. I, I should say thank Chloe. Yeah. For me. For going into the bowels of uh, Movie Pass HQ and framing this for me, yes, this is going perfect. I love it. Well, there we go. If we have to, we can take out the glass. By the way, glass. Sorry. That's all right. Thank you, honey. That's wonderful. You're welcome. Okay, I'm gonna go downstairs. All right. What a wonderful gift from Chloe, the director of marketing. Uh, who could have seen that coming? I certainly did not. Um, yeah, you can screenshot that number if you want. Uh, I, I, let me tell you right now, it ain't going to work. 
it, it, they stopped working when we still belong to the service. So it's definitely not going to work uh, anymore. Uh, thank you very much. That was a wonderful gift. Muffin is still standing here. Yeah, hang out. You're good, Muffin. Yeah, just sit down. It's all good. Oh, man. It's amazing. I'm all the way back over here now. <laughs> I know, right? How'd that happen? Well, let's see I if anybody know. has sent in a question. We have a couple. It looks like we have one question from uh, Tori X Rose. Thank you, Tori. Hi, Mara and Dan. What are your favorite anime shows slash movies? I've been getting into them more lately. Hope you both have a wonderful holiday with the cats. I wanted to make sure I put all those S's in there because you put in the Streamlab. Um, well, anime shows, I have to say, I'm a, I'm a noob. Um, I've really only watched Demon Slayer. That's that's pretty much the only anime show that I've watched, although I, I want to get more into it. Movies, I'm also pretty new, but I loved uh, My Neighbor Totoro. We've gotten into the Ghibli stuff, so I, there, I haven't seen a Studio Ghibli movie that I didn't like, but My Neighbor Totoro was a favorite. I also watched Your Name because I did an episode of all my movies with Tony Revolori uh, from Spider-Man um, and other great movies, Wes Anderson movies. He's in The French Dispatch and Grand Budapest Hotel. But he wanted to talk about Your Name, so I watched Your Name and I really enjoyed that. And then Spirited Away and Castle in the Sky. It's it's mostly Studio Ghibli stuff right now, and I've loved everything that I've seen. So that's um, I did an anime series where I was watching a lot of anime for the first time, and then because of the podcast or whatever else, it kind of got put to the side. I will resume that, at least watching it at some point, because I really, really liked what I was seeing. And um, and also things like Demon Slayer as I go through, and, and, and shows like Arcane and stuff that are recommended as well. Uh, I, I want to expose myself to more of that stuff, because I really, really enjoyed what I've seen. Mara, is there anything anime that we've watched or that you've watched that uh, I didn't mention? I don't know. I was busy whipping meringue. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. we watch a lot of it together, so we're 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 kind of both joining into that. that Attack on Titan's excuse. final season is coming is starting January 9th, Dan. So I think uh-huh. that would be a good one for you to like do like a season one review, a season two review, and season three, and then like the final season, like where like the manga has already ended, and so the final season of the anime is coming up, and it's very very good. Okay, that's good to know. And there's more Demon Slayer coming up soon. Uh, so I'm excited for that, uh, at, at, I think, toward uh, in next month, toward the end of the year. So, yeah, there's a, there's so much stuff I need to catch up on. It's like I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Um, it's just a lot of – it's like juggling, you know? You got Something's got to drop at some point, but I'm trying to juggle everything. Uh, let's. Uh, there's a couple of small stories before we wrap up the show that I wanted to talk about. So if you have questions that you wanted to get in, you still have a few minutes to get them in before we start to wrap everything up. Uh, there, uh, we, we talk about streaming in the digital age and how weird it is with where everything is. And this is just another one of those stories that just goes to show you how complicated things are. Uh, there are, if you've noticed, there are some conflicting Fox movies that either go back and forth or parts of franchises like X-Men that are on HBO Max and then are on Disney Plus and then either go back to HBO Max or are missing. And that's because Fox had a contract with HBO through, I think, 2022 to have their movies on HBO, but then Fox got bought by Disney. And of course, they want to put a lot of their movies on Disney Plus. And so there's been this back and forth. It happens with the Harry Potter movies, too. You'll see they'll go to HBO Max, and then they'll go to Peacock, and then they'll go back to HBO Max, and then they'll go to Peacock. It's because you have these sort of legacy contracts. Muffin, sorry, Muffin's eating the wrapping paper. Muffin, don't eat that. Hey, be good. Sorry, I didn't want, don't put your head in the box. Okay, we're going to do this. We're going to close that up. There you go. 
Sorry, Muffin. You, we, we feed you wonderful food. You don't have to eat wrapping paper. Oh my God, it's about to get even nicer food now because it, we're gonna switch her onto a food. It comes primarily from um, rabbits, I think. Yeah, which kind of makes be a lot sad. cheaper to feed her wrapping paper, but it's it's not nutritious, you know, not enough fiber. She has pica, just like her mom. So yeah, um, I just eat pica, anyway. So so you see movies that go back and forth. This is a very weird arrangement. So uh, HBO Max is going to have. Uh, Fox movies for one last year, so going into 2022. However, they have struck an unusual deal that they're going to share the streaming window for a lot of their movies with Disney Plus and Hulu for about half of the studio's titles. Um, and the first one that you're going to see is the movie Ron's Gone Wrong, which comes out next month. That was a legacy Fox uh, animated film that didn't do great numbers in theaters, but it also has that abbreviated theatrical window. And it's actually held up pretty well over the uh, last uh, few weeks. Uh, but instead of having it go from one service to another, uh, under the new agreement, HBO and HBO Max will share co-exclusive rights with Disney Plus and Hulu to a selection of titles from 20th Century Studios and Searchlight Pictures. HBO and HBO Max will retain pay one TV window exclusivity on about half the slate through 2022. Ron's Gone Wrong uh, is going to premiere on both HBO Max and Disney Plus on December 15th. So usually, I mean, the key to so many of these services is exclusive rights to certain movies, etc. This is one of the ways that they're getting around these crazy contracts. Now, once this contract runs out, then all the Fox stuff is going to be on the Disney streaming services. Or if it's not appropriate for Hulu or for some reason, or if it's not appropriate for Disney+, Plus, then they may license out individual films. But this sort of blanket agreement, you're not going to see anymore. But this is something, if you get confused and you're going on to HBO Max and Disney+, Plus and you see some movies on both streamers for the next year that's because they've hammered out a deal where they both get the rights so good good news if you want to see ron's gone wrong uh you've doubled your chances whether you have disney plus or hbo max you can catch it on both services starting next month and you're going to see that happening here uh over the next year or so uh, for a select number of titles also on hulu so keep that in mind as we kind of navigate the final days of these legacy contracts eventually someday i think all the harry potter movies are gonna live on peacock because that's who owns the rights but because of the dueling rights or sorry that they would probably live on uh, hbo max because they're warner brothers films but because of the dueling rights uh, they just keep getting kind of back and forth, back and forth. It's like having two Christmases. You're just going from house to house. Uh, eventually, they're going to live at their parent companies. But yeah, this is another example of just kind of weird economy that we're living in. Another uh, thing that we talk about, just as far as things changing, one major Hollywood release, we've talked about this on charting, that there are a lot of films that are not getting releases in China, which was a lucrative market for Hollywood films, uh, but they have to pass muster and get actual release dates in China, which have been very hard to come by. One movie that will be screened in China is The Matrix Resurrections. It reportedly has passed censorship in China, so it will get a release theatrically in that country. However, there is a big movie that unconfirmed reports are saying will not get released in China, and that is Venom Let There Be Carnage. I have been anticipating when this China release is going to come because the first Venom movie did $250 million in China. I think China was the number one market in the world for that film. And so the assumption was that Venom Let There Be Carnage would do big numbers, maybe do the best out of any Hollywood movie in China this year. Now, I cannot find a confirmed report uh, from uh, a established media source. There is a box office analyst named Oliver Chen 
Uh, other outlets online have picked up the story, but I have not gotten an official confirmation. Uh, has but a box office analyst named Oliver Chen has reported that Venom Let There Be Carnage has been banned in China. Now, this this could turn out perhaps I, I would take this as an unconfirmed report. An unconfirmed report that Venom Let There Be Carnage has been banned in China. If this does turn out to be the case, this is a huge blow, obviously, to Venom Let There Be Carnage. Also to Sony, because I'm sure they were probably anticipating a large chunk of box office change from the Chinese box office. However, we've seen that these censorship boards are getting more restrictive. It does not look like Eternals will be coming out in China. It does not look like Black Widow will be coming out in China. Um, It does not look like Shang-Chi will be coming out in China. Um, Jungle Cruise had a much delayed release date. It's made next to nothing in China because it was so readily available elsewhere. We really are seeing um, a a crackdown, a clampdown uh, on the part of the Chinese government largely uh, for Hollywood films in favor of domestic films from the Chinese marketplace. And the, the, the censorship is getting much more strict. So I mean, is this it just is... about preserving like the economy of the Chinese marketplace for film? Or is there like a, a content reason why is well do you have any ideas been... like what what questionable content is there in venom let there be carnage for the conservative chinese government i don't know i don't get it well there is a um i mean i don't want to go too much into it but the, the nature of one of the romantic relationships in the movie and i don't mean between eddie and uh venom uh but there oh, is really? an aspect to that relationship that really? uh, the government Yes, uh, reportedly pr- potentially has an issue with. Of course, one of the reasons well, that Eternals uh, has was likely banned in China and, well, and was yeah. banned in other countries is because uh, there's an uh, openly gay character. Uh, there's a list of things that are kind of no-nos in China. And, and also, if you look at the marketing in China and the fact of uh, John Boyega's uh, diminishment on the Chinese marketing for The Force Awakens... Um, some of these reasons are inexcusable, but that's just the reality of it. So again, these well, are unconfirmed thing, reports, though. so I can't if, really go into exactly why. I, I, I don't. Again, this is all speculation. If this well, happened, I can't say exactly why, but this is speculation as to why it would have happened. Um, but we're going to talk yeah. offline about that because I've uh, there. That's sure. a big false equivalency because there are other movies that have a similar type of relationship. Know, that's why I'm not between... saying this is why it happened. I'm just I saying know, that's the speculation. I'm just saying, hypothetically speaking. That would be right. but I that don't would want be a big double standard own. and would say a lot more than they think it says. I agree. I don't want to violate my own standards by, you know, I'm not saying get the pitchforks out. Again, this is all speculation. And again, this is an unconfirmed report. But yeah, uh, it's a concern for Hollywood uh, because there are more and more now um, instances where films are just not getting release dates. I think part of it also, the market is a little bit limited. There are still effects from the COVID-19 pandemic that are happening in China as they are happening worldwide. And I think the thinking from the Chinese government also is if people are limiting what movies they see, then we want to make sure that people are going to see movies from China and not movies from Hollywood because we want the Chinese film market to recover. And we don't necessarily want that market recovery to also assist uh, the United States. So there's a lot of there's a lot of different factors that go into this, uh, but yeah, an unconfirmed report that Venom Let There Be Carnage has may not be getting a Chinese release date. I will be trying to track that and get confirmation. Perhaps by the time Charts comes out uh, next Monday, then you will be able to uh, we will be able Is to confirm. Is Charts going or at least to come out more. on Monday because of our? That's a good trip? question. I think it may still come out on Monday. We just may re- release it Sunday. on Sunday again. But yeah, okay. um, it, it'll be we will be on the road again all day Monday. So Charts will probably be recorded on Sunday. 
One last uh, story, and this is exciting. Uh, there is a new addition to the cast of Marvel's Blade, which is has yet to go into production, but is heavily into pre-production. Reportedly, Delroy Lindo has joined the cast in an unnamed role. Of course, there's always speculation about who he's going to be. We know that Mahershala Ali is in the film. Delroy Lindo also reportedly going to be in the movie. Uh, it, listen, if the, if it was just a two-hander between these two, if they were the only two cast members in the movie, sign me. I, I was, I'm already ready. I think Mahershala Ali is great casting. If Delroy Lindo's in there too, great. I would watch the two of them just sit in a room and talk for two hours. He would you be don't even such need to put a great whistler. It. Oh, he would be a great whistler. He would be a great whistler. Yeah, so uh, that's a fun addition to Blade. One of the most Delroy important Lindo. things about Whistler is that he doesn't put up with Blade's um, stuff. I was going to say a different yeah. word, but and he can absolutely play that part to an actor like Mahershala Ali. Yeah, he definitely could. So that that's a fun addition to the cast. Uh, and just kind of a fun thing to take as our last topic for the show, just some excitement here, some excitement for Blade and the fact that, you know, let's hope Delroy Lindo signs on the dotted line. This is reported as final talks. So let's hope he signs up for that film. It looks like we have a couple of final questions before we sign off. A new guy says, I don't know if it's streaming anywhere, but I really enjoyed weathering with you. Yeah, I, I remember covering that uh, on charts when that came out. There was a lot of... Um, it did well at the worldwide box office. And I remember seeing that name. So that's another one that I've seen recommended weathering with you. That's a great one to add to the list. Uh, this is a donation. Let's see. Is there a name attached to this one? Um, oh, is this from the same uh, person, Ben? Is this, are these both from a new guy? Uh, the weathering with you ones. Um, weathering with you is an anime movie by the same person who made your name, which was a huge box office movie. I think it dethroned Spirited Away's anime worldwide box office crown in 2016. Um, yeah, that's a that's a big uh, uh, that that was a big box office hit. Yes, thank you, Ben. Those are both from a new guy. Appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah, weathering with you. I saw a lot on charts when it came out. Uh, and it looks like our final question is going to be from Joey. Thank you, Joey. Thoughts on the stylistic departure with Last Night in Soho? I enjoyed it but it didn't feel like an Edgar Wright film to me. I still wonder what his Ant-Man movie would have been like too. I agree. And, and I was always very sad that Edgar Wright didn't get to make his Ant-Man movie. I know he was very, um, he was very excited to do that. Uh, as far as last night in Soho, and I said this in my review, it's not my favorite movie in his filmography, but what I love about Edgar Wright is he continues to show a lot of growth as a filmmaker and he's not afraid to try new things. A baby driver, I think was, a departure from what he's done. Uh, he's done action sequences before, but as far as a pure action film, I think that Baby Driver was something new for him. And I liked what he did in Last Night in Soho. I wasn't in love with the movie itself. I enjoyed it, but I didn't love it. Um, but what I really like, because I think that, he, you know, he is one of my favorite directors, probably top five working right now, for sure. I, as I bumped the camera, I, I love that he keeps experimenting and trying new things. And part of it is that you sometimes it's, it's a little too much of a departure. Sometimes it takes audiences a little while to appreciate the, the departure from style. I think, I think something that we do a lot right now is to judge directors as they are currently working as if their filmography is altered uh, film by film. And, and part of it is that uh, like filmmakers legacies often aren't written until their filmography is complete or until they're older and they're making fewer films or until you have enough films to really stand back and judge, uh, judge it as a whole, unless you have a very limited filmography. But, uh, you know, I think even Kubrick's filmography has sort of been recontextualized and reassessed over the years. And so I, I, I think that, uh, 
Last Night in Soho is probably going to be informed as much by the films that Edgar Wright makes next as by the ones that he made before. But I appreciate the fact that he's still out there. He's trying new things. He's playing with style. He's playing with genre. And uh, I look forward to his next one because I never quite know what to expect from him. And uh, I think that's always exciting. I feel the same way about Paul Thomas Anderson. I don't know what to expect from him, uh, from each individual movie. And that's exciting. I'll take that over predictability any day. I agree. Uh, Jim one, I think this will be the final question. Jim one says with the celestials sacred timeline and multiverse being introduced, do you think the MCU risks being too convoluted for casual and new fans to follow? Even for me, it's now harder to keep up with all the Disney plus shows on top of the three plus movies a year. Yeah. I mean, that's one of my biggest concerns because the MCU, they had little missteps, little tiny inconsistencies like the infinity gauntlet in the first Thor movie. And, the little timing issue with Spider-Man Homecoming as far as how many years later was it. But generally, they were able to make it all fit together uh, in a broader sense. And a lot of it was retconning things, and, and that largely worked as well, I think. The thing with the MCU now here is the Celestial Celestials are so huge, and Loki, which is the sacred timeline, and now the multiverse is like, these all seem like very huge things that alone would be like very big picture things of like how everything works. So I agree the same thing is like, how do you make all of this marry together? How do you make the idea of a multiverse and also a sacred timeline merge together? And the idea of like this big event that happens with Dr. Strange in Spider-Man No Way Home and this big event that we saw in Loki, are they somehow tied together? And add on to the fact, the idea of like the reality altering abilities of Wanda. Um, These are all such huge things are you introducing too much at once? That's a question that I have, and and I don't know. I, I, do, I do share your concern there, because I think I mean, that... Go ahead. Given preference, I wish they would have just gone back to small stories and built up another big universe, because it would have been able to bring in new people immediately, because they could have referenced things from the first infi- like from the Infinity Saga, and then people yeah. would have been like, oh, I should go back and watch that, or oh, I know that thing from that thing. But, I mean... It just seems like they're going so big. Where can they go yeah. from here? Like, it feels like we're two films away from another Infinity War stakes movie. Like, things getting so big so fast. And it doesn't feel earned this time. Yeah, I, I, I worry that they kind of fell into a trap where... In, God, it's a trap! I gotta figure that out. Uh, pumping the camera again. I, I feel like they, they got so big that they fell into this trap of like, well, we're already at this level, so we can't go back down to a small level. And I think you can, actually. I think you can. I agree. Um, but you know, we'll oh see. no, my hands um, are now dyed red. By the way, I uh-oh. didn't realize that I got Iron Man food coloring. This is hot rod red. Ooh, hot rod red. I like it. Um, yeah. So I think that's our last question and that's our last topic on the show. So we're a little bit shorter than we have been, but that's all right. I know that everybody is uh, getting ready for the holiday. We are certainly getting ready for the holiday and I'm you know, getting movies in, etc. So there's a lot going on. Uh, ben, thank you so much for pushing the buttons. Jump in here if there's anything that you want to plug. Mara, is there anything that you would like to plug? Um, yeah, I think that I have made maybe too much royal icing. It's possible. Oh, no. What are we going to do? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I, I would love to Hook plug. it up to my veins. Um, Sorry. <laughs> um, I would like to plug your local food pantries. Um, it's easy sometimes to forget how incredibly fortunate many of us are. 
Um, or if you are someone who struggles with food scarcity in a time of year that is about gathering with family and uh, uh, indulging while thinking about what we're grateful for, um, don't be afraid to ask for help or to seek out your local food pantry. But supporting those kinds of institutions helps to make this season special for everyone. So uh, that's what I would encourage people to do. Agreed. I think that's a great plug. Yes, food security is something that so many people struggle with now more than ever. So I know that food pantries don't just need your money and your donations right around Thanksgiving. They can use them not not even just during the holiday season. Yeah, they can use them all, all year round, but especially here around Thanksgiving and Christmas and Hanukkah and all of the other holidays that are celebrated during the holiday season. Um, everyone should be able to have a nice meal. Um, with their family or with their friends or whomever they uh, choose to gather with. Uh, so uh, I know that those food pantries appreciate those donations. Uh, thank you, everybody, for watching. Have a very safe Thanksgiving here in the U.S. and abroad where you're celebrating. Have a very safe rest of the week. Stay tuned. House of Gucci, the review will be up here on the channel tomorrow. And then uh, charts will be coming up uh, upcoming. Big holiday movies in Kanto is out. And Resident Evil is not going to do a whole lot of business, but we'll talk about it anyway. House of Gucci is coming up. I'm curious to see what Ghostbusters Afterlife is going to do. Lots of things to cover. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Thanks to everybody who asked a question. Send in a donation. You've all been very generous. It's always wonderful hearing your questions and what you have to say. We will be back next week. I don't know what day because we're actually traveling next Wednesday. So we may be doing this show next Tuesday. So stay tuned for announcements on that. And then the week after that, we're traveling on Wednesday again. So we have to figure that out. But uh, stay tuned. We'll let you know. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Stay safe. We'll see you next time.